One of the greatest and most life-changing events for me was becoming a dad. And so I think all of you dads out there can resonate with that, that it was a life-changing event for you. And so happy Father's Day. So glad that you chose to be with us this weekend as we celebrate you and kind of dig into what our great God the Father has for us this weekend. But my wish for you dads is that you get even half the celebration moms get. That would be great, wouldn't it? Even half. But happy Father's Day. Becoming a dad was one of the pathways to some of the greatest lessons I've experienced in life. In fact, if I'm honest, I really didn't start growing up in a holistic way until I became a dad. It just changed me. And we're talking about unforgettable life lessons here in the first several of the series, Unforgettable. And I have to tell you, um, there are a couple unforgettable lessons that were truly cemented for me, that truly became understandable to me as a result of my role as a dad. And I thought it would be great to look into those as we celebrate Father's Day. And if you haven't been with us in Unforgettable yet, all the talks are online. We give them away. We'd love for you to catch up. But I've been looking at life lessons, and I've been pulling them out of the parable of the talents. It's a story that Jesus told that would give us a picture of what life in relationship with God is like. It's found in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Read it on your own, but I'll kind of synthesize it for you in a quick way. There were three guys, and they were given the greatest opportunity they would have ever been given, the opportunity of a lifetime. They were given resources, and they were slaves, so they had nothing. They were given resources by their ruler, by their master, and he just gave them one request. Manage it well for me. Manage my business well. And two succeeded, and one failed. And the story is a picture of what we've been given by God and what we can do with the opportunity. We can take advantage of it or we can waste it. And in this story, Jesus unfolds for us tons of life lessons. This weekend, I want to look at a couple. The first is, in this story, it's clear that we are to put first things first. Put first things first. An unforgettable life lesson that as I became a dad, really started taking a priority in my life. Because put first things first is an issue of priorities. We have to know our priorities, and we have to live them. And this was the difference between the two successful guys in the parable and the failure. You see, the two understood their priority was to their master. Didn't matter how they felt, didn't matter how scary it was, how big of a risk it was. They needed to invest for him because he was their master. And that's what he asked them to do. The failure was the opposite. The failure had only one priority, and his priority was himself. He did whatever it took to protect his own hide. And as a result, he failed. He failed spectacularly, and it was predictable. Put first things first. And the same is true for each and every one of us as it was for those three. God's word is full of this principle. Put first things first. I know those four words don't rock your world. I know it's not the first time you've heard them put together. I know you understand the issues of priorities. And yet we still mess up on this very thing. We don't follow the two that succeeded. We follow the one that failed. God's word says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27, finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. 
I mean, get your career going. Build the foundation of your life. Make sure that you're stable and you have the means by which you can support yourself and your family. And after you do that, then build your house. What's that proverb telling us? Put first things first. Now, what I want to do is I just want to spray a bunch of concepts that flow out of that at first, and then I want to specify and look deeply into three. What's God's word telling us when it says put first things first? It's saying put essentials before non-essentials. Put the spiritual before the physical. Put family before work and working before purchasing. Put saving before spending. Responsibility for before pleasure. Put others before yourself. Put first things first. And when you do, the story will unfold in a good way for you in the end. But if you don't, you'll be like the failure. Now, in the Bible, it's very, very clear that God has high priorities. And he actually spells them out for us. He tells us that if we want to experience life in all of its fullness, then when we put first things first, we have to make sure we're putting them in their proper order. And I I thought there are tons of priorities, but I thought, thought I'd take three that God gives us and put them in the order he puts them in. One, two, three. The first priority, God says, that we need to have in our lives if we're going to really experience life as he designed it, is him. When you put first things first... God should be the first priority. Now, one look around, and that's just not what's going on in our world today. The truth is, one look around our churches, and it's not really what's going on these days. In fact, the truth is, one look within, and we can go, ooh, maybe God's not the first priority. And this explains why so much isn't going right. Jesus was talking to some people who were claiming to be his followers in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, you know, the people who don't know God have all the wrong priorities. The priorities have been all messed up. They don't put first things first. They're failing spectacularly. And here's what they're pursuing. They're pursuing shelter and they're pursuing food. They're pursuing, pursuing clothing. They're pursuing power and position. And their lives are consumed with worry because they're not able to ever get secure in that. And then Jesus says this in Matthew six thirty three: Seek first God's kingdom and God's ways, and all these things will be given to you as well. When you make the wrong thing priorities, you will never find what you're looking for, but when you make God your priority, you'll realize he's the great provider. He's where we find our security. Seek God first, Jesus says, and everything else will line up. But we don't do it. And we make other things our priorities, other things our goals. And you know what? You can, you can achieve your priorities and you can achieve your goals and you can succeed in the eyes of the world spectacularly and yet still fail. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus said it this way, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? This is exactly what so many are doing in our world. They're, they're forfeiting any true sense of fulfillment for what the world calls success. And it doesn't matter how successful you are, if God's not your first priority, you're going to miss the whole deal. And then God tells us there's a second priority. If we're going to put first things first, then once God's our first priority, then we have to know our second priority. And our second priority is family. Good thing to talk about on Father's Day weekend. Family. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family... He's denied the faith. doesn't matter what he calls himself. He's denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Family is the second priority. 
And of course, we immediately think provide for our family. We think financially, and finances is a part of it, but that's not all. We're supposed to provide the needs for our family. There are emotional needs and spiritual needs. There are relational needs. There are educational needs. There are all kinds of needs. And if we don't provide those needs to those whom God has placed in our family, it's like denying the faith. doesn't matter if you say you put God first. If you're not putting family where it needs to be, you're messing up. And messing up big time. Now, in our world, when you think about the best of the best, and, you know, you think about the best of the best, they're people who put family first. They really are. In our world, because there are so many messed up priorities, when you find someone that goes, oh, my gosh, look at them. They, They put family first. They're really into that. They're great. They're a great couple. They're great parents. They're putting family first. They take care of their parents. Isn't that awesome? Here's the problem. Many in our world are putting family first, and when you put family first and not God, you're ripping the family off. When you put family first, you're replacing God with family, which means you're looking to them for your value, for your significance, for your purpose. And what happens is our families start fraying and falling apart because they can't live up to the place that only God can play. When we put God first and family second, things unfold well relationally. But when we mess up those priorities, they don't. And then God gives us a third priority. Others. Others. Now, when you look around the world, the world is kind of the picture of the failure in the parable of the talents. What was his priority? Himself. And yet nowhere on the top three priorities that God gives us is self there. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Uh, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Some person asked Jesus. And this is what Jesus answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, all he was asked for was one. What's the greatest commandment? And he gave it, but he didn't stop. He said the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he explains why he gave two answers and not just one. Look at verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these, does it say one or two commandments? You cannot fulfill God's prescription for you. You cannot experience success in this world unless you fulfill both of those commandments because everything hangs on the two, not just the one. If you love God genuinely, you will love others genuinely, which means you love God as your first priority and you love others as your second, and it comes with an A and a B. A is family others, and B is all the rest. Love God, love others. Those are the priorities of life. No wonder our world's messed up. Now, there is a note that I have to give you here. Fulfilling these priorities to God, to family, to others, demands that we take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves physically and emotionally and spiritually and relationally because if we don't, then we really have nothing to bring to the table. And Jesus gives us a great picture of this. That he had been really pressing on his followers to put God first because that doesn't come naturally and to put others first and serve them. And they started getting it. They started loving God and they, as a result, started loving others. And they got so busy in it that Jesus comes in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, and he teaches them this. Because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, you need to come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. 
If you're going to be any good to God and any good to these others, you have to make sure you take care of yourselves. But this is a very different kind of focus on self. It's not the focus on self that's like the failure, all about protecting myself and being for my own good and advancing me. It's this kind of focus on self is about being healthy so that we can be at our best for God, for family, and for others. Put first things first. There's a second unforgettable lesson that I got taught as a young man, and it just didn't make sense to me until I became a dad. Because when I became a dad, it it was just absolutely obvious, but before that, it didn't make sense. And here's the unforgettable lesson. Think win-win. Think win-win. Now, I'm going to tell you, this made no sense to me when someone said it because I'm an extremely competitive person. I mean, anyone who knows me up close knows I'm, ex- I'm competitive. If you kick a rock, I'm going to try and kick one better. I mean, I'm just telling you, I, I just am really into it. And when you're really competitive, it's about you winning and others what? Yeah. In fact, I have as much joy in you losing as I do in me winning. I mean, it's kind of my competitive nature. And I, I hack around with golf clubs once in a while. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, they say, you know, people with character don't root against the other person. They just do the best they can. Well, screw that. No way, man. I mean, by nature, I want you to miss the pot. And I want you to miss it badly. I, it's like... This win-lose thing is a big part of me. But, but along the way, someone taught me, you need to think win-win, not win-lose. And it didn't really make sense until I became a dad. And then it became obvious. Because I, I wanted to win as a dad. I wanted to be the best dad I could be. I wanted to create the best kind of family environment that I could. I wanted to win as a dad. But that didn't mean my kids had to lose, that means my kids had to win too. So for me to win as a dad demanded that my kids win too and that my wife win too. And so I started seeing think win-win, it can really make sense. And so in life, our goal should be to win in a way that benefits everyone, that moves everyone forward, that helps everyone get better, not everyone lose but me. It's a big deal. And it's clear in the parable of the talents, and I didn't even understand it early on. It took me so long to get this one stamped into my soul. You see, the master gave his servants his resources to manage. And when you look at the story, if they managed his resources well, he would win and they would win. It was a win-win, and this is how he was thinking. He wasn't using them. He wasn't taking advantage of them, and he could have. He lived in a day of slavery. He lived in a day where he could have done anything he wanted, but he was was investing in them. He was thinking win-win, not he wins, they lose. And we know this because when he came back and the two succeeded, he affirmed them, well done. You you guys are awesome. I'm going to give you even broader responsibilities, and I want you to come and share my happiness. I mean, it was a big deal. And so when they won, he won. And when he won, they won. And it was phenomenal. And remember, Jesus is telling us the story to give us a picture of what it's supposed to be like with God. He doesn't want to win and us lose. And many of us look at God like he's keeping us back and holding us back. No, he wants us to win because that's how he wins in his kingdom. But, of course, the two successful guys did it, but the failure didn't. The failure did everything to protect himself. He avoided risk and failure by doing nothing 
with the master's resources. If you read the story, he literally just buried them. He did nothing with them. He was living by the win-lose philosophy. See, You see, he didn't care about his master. He didn't care what happened to his master's business or his master's resources. He only cared about himself. And he lived to win, though it meant his master would lose. He only lived for himself. And in the end, what happened? It's obvious. It's predictable. He lost too. He lost big time. Think win-win is an important biblical principle that so many people don't understand. I mean, I'm looking over the spectrum of those people that call themselves Christians, and we're still run by the win-lose philosophy. It's about win-lose, win-lose. It's about me. But the whole biblical principle is win-win. In fact, Jesus demonstrated win-win. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And it's so weird that I read this so many times and never got it until later in life. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You shouldn't live for yourself in any area. When you focus on yourself, it should be so that you're better for God and better for family and better for others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, you need to consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests. Yes, you have to look to your interests, but also to the interests of others. What's he saying? Think win-win. And then he says, you know why you should do that as Christ followers? Because this is what Jesus did. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus left heaven to come down here so that we could win. He literally left heaven because we had so failed that we couldn't ever find success as God designed it. We've all sinned and fallen short of what God created us for. And the wages of that is death because when you're separated from God, you're separated from life. And we could never know life or hope or anything positive. But Jesus came and lived the story we failed to live. And then he paid the penalty for our failure when he died on the cross. And then he rose again to give us new life. Why did he do that? Because he was thinking win-win. It's a win for us because we get to experience redemption. It's a win for him because he wants us to be with him. Win-win. And you know, when you think win-win, what happens is you understand that when you help others succeed, it doesn't diminish you. It expands you. When you help others succeed, it, it helps you succeed. This is why in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, after Jesus lived according to the win-win philosophy, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. He became the greatest in history because he became the one who lived most by win-win. Now, here's the difference, and I really needed it explained in simple terms because, you know, I'm kind of dense and didn't get it, but the difference between those who think win-lose and those who think win-win is simple. Those who think win-lose think in terms of competition, competing with everyone. When I think in terms of other pastors, what am I doing? I'm competing with them. Does God want me to compete with other pastors, or does God want me to help and encourage other pastors? Of course, the answer is obvious, but I kind of grew up thinking win-lose. I mean, when you're working in the marketplace, is it supposed to be you win, everyone else loses? If that's true, then the business will go down. You need to win, and they need to win. Think win-win. But we don't do this. When you think win-lose, you think in terms of competition. You're comparing yourself with others, and you're wanting to be better than them. But when you think win-win, you think in terms of cooperation. In this case, you want them to win because you win. When you think win-lose, you really look at others as your enemies, as your opponents, whereas when you think win-win, you look at them as your friends, as your allies. 
You know when this really started coming into my head and I started, started getting it was after Roxanne and I got married. And I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I'm so built by the win-lose philosophy, the competitive kind of drive, that I went into marriage and, you know, I thought my job in an argument was to win. Which in my mind meant she had to lose. And I went for it with all my might. But you know what I discovered? When she loses, I'm toast. (laughs) It doesn't work. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then I say, really, wait a minute. Think win-win. If she wins... I win, and tonight could be a good night. That kind of deal, you know what I'm saying? So think win-win, and I started getting that, and then my kids were born, the same thing, think win-win, and then I realized this is what life's supposed to be about. I'm not supposed to be diminishing other people to make myself better, but by expanding other people, I'm actually making my life better. Think win-win. When you think win-lose, you concentrate on yourself, which is nowhere close to what God designed us for. But when you think win-win, you're supportive of others. You concentrate on others, concentrating on their success. There's a huge difference between win-lose and win-win. And finally, think about this one. If you think win-lose, the only way you win is if you're really, really that good. But if you think win-win... You can be mediocre, but if you surround yourself with other people are that good, what happens? You win. It's easier to win with a group of people who can do more together than they ever could alone than it is by yourself. When you think win-lose, very few ever really win, and ultimately, even when they win, they lose. But when you think win-win, everybody can win. And when you think win-lose, the win is always very small because... It has a celebration of one. It's a lonely place to be. But when you think win-win, the win is really huge. It's always bigger than the sum of the parts. And the celebration is never lonely. When you help others succeed, you help yourself succeed. Think win-win. And here's the reality. Let me really put it on the bottom shelf. In God's eyes, we can't genuinely succeed without others. We can't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look what he says in verse 12. The body, talking about the physical body, is a unit. It's just, it's one unit, obviously. It works together. But it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. It makes sense, right? Fingers, toes, feet, arms, legs, ears, eyeballs. And individually, those parts are kind of weird. Have you ever seen a finger on a dining room table? I mean, that's disgusting. How about an eyeball? You know, mistake it as an olive. I'm sorry, I'm just getting really gross now. But you get the idea. I mean, the parts of the body are absolutely worthless alone. But when you put them together, they become great. And then look at the last five words of that verse. So it is with Christ. You know how God made life to be? You know why he looked down and he said it's not good to be alone? It's because we weren't made to do anything alone. We were made to think win-win. But because we think win-lose... We've blown the whole thing apart. Think, win, win. Put first things first. Think, win, win. And one last unforgettable lesson that, that I learned a long time ago and haven't always practiced, but being a dad helped cement it in my head. The lesson is begin with the end in mind. 
Begin with the end in mind. It's a huge part of parenting. I mean, when I became a dad, I, I was thinking, what, what do I want for these kids? What's going to take for them to get there? What's it going to take from me? And it kind of changed the entire strategy of my life because I was beginning with the end in mind. But you know, most of us don't live life that way. And that's why we fail. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. They begin and live with the end in mind. But the simpleton, the fool, goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And you know the truth? Most of us aren't living each day with the end in mind. We're living each day just to make today as tolerable as possible or as pleasurable as possible. We're living like the fool instead of the wise person. And this is so clear in the parable of the talents because the two successful servants managed the resources with the right end in mind. They realized that the master was coming back for his resources and they had the right end in mind. They wanted him to be happy because if he was happy, what would they be? You're so far away from the emotion you can't even utter it through your lips, right? If he was happy, they'd be happy, of course. And they had the right end. And so what they did, didn't matter that they were afraid. It didn't matter that it was risk. It didn't matter that it was hard and difficult. There were all kinds of obstacles. They did everything they could each day to live in a way that would get them to the end that they saw, their master being happy. And in the end, that's exactly what happened. But the failure didn't do that. He lived with fear in mind. Controlled by fear. You can read the story on your own. And fear messed up his view of the everything. It messed up his view of the opportunity. He didn't see it as an opportunity. He saw it as a curse. So he buried the stuff in the ground so he wouldn't be troubled by it. And it messed up his view of the end. Because when he looked at the end through the lens of fear, all he saw and all he cared about was himself. I mean, I could get hurt. I could get in trouble. This could go really Uh, south for me I need to bury this I need to protect myself at all costs but the problem is when you begin with the wrong end in mind how do you live you live the wrong way or when you begin with no end in mind you live the wrong way you'll be the failure it's predictable begin with the end in mind just so you know Jesus lived this principle look look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. You want to experience the life you were designed for? You better fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the one that perfected the way. He authored it. And then it shows us the way. Here's what he did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's amazing. For the joy set before him, What was the joy set before him? It wasn't the cross. That was the shame. The cross was torture. The cross was difficult. The cross was darkness. The cross was a tragedy. But he endured the cross and its shame. How? By looking at the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? Well, the verse gives us part of it. To sit back at the right hand of the Father. That was the... This is going to be hard, but I'll be at the right hand of the Father if... I do the right thing. I'll bring him pleasure. Well done. You're a great servant, right? Come and share my happiness. But it wasn't just the pleasure of being with the Father because he would have never had to leave heaven if it was just about being with the Father. Why did he leave heaven and why did he have to go through the cross and get back? What was the joy set before him? You know what the joy set before him was? Giving us the opportunity 
to have the life that he originally created us for. We've all sinned and fallen short of it. We have no hope on our own. There's nothing we can do to change it. But by him coming and paying the wage for our sin, death on that cross, he went through the shame of the cross. It was sinful. It was dark. It was destructive. Why did he do it? For the joy set before him that we would have the opportunity. You know what got him through it? He began with the end in mind. He wanted to be in heaven with us. And it changed what he did with his day by day. What about us? We need to begin with the end in mind. And this principle is extremely important in every area of life. Every area. Think about marriage. In marriage, we need to know what we want in the end and then live to get there. But that's not how most of us live. You know what? Most of us live every day to get what we want when? Now. I'm telling you, when I got married, I, Roxanne and I were very young when we got married. And um, I was 21, she was 20. I mean, she had to change my diapers for a couple years after we got married. I mean, we were young, right? It was just crazy. And quite frankly, the only thing I wanted, well, here's why I got married. She was hot and I wanted to experience her hotness. That's why we got married. I mean, I wasn't thinking too far ahead, you know? I was beginning with the beginning in mind. Woohoo! That's kind of where I was. But that comes with a lot of mistakes and errors. You don't, you don't live right when you're living with the beginning in mind. And along the way, and just this is today is our 35th wedding anniversary. Today, it's pretty cool. <laughs> along the way, along the way, I figured out, boy, I better, I better begin and live with the end in mind. Because you see, I didn't want for us to go through all kinds of hurts that I was causing and all kinds of dysfunction that I was causing. And I didn't want us to, to tear apart the fabric of this relationship that was so vital to both of us. I wanted, in the end, I wanted to experience days like this and beyond and have the joy of a life well lived together. I mean, I, in the end, that's intimacy. That's what I wanted, right? And so I had to change the way I lived. I had to live each day so that I could actually achieve that end. I could go through the rough spots and the difficult seasons like Jesus went through the cross to get there. You know, and most people blow marriage apart because they're not living with the end in mind. To be a good parent, and I haven't been the greatest of parents, but I've really, I mean, it's one of the most important roles that I've ever been given. And to be a good parent, you need to know what you want the end to be, and then you have to live each day to get there. And a lot of people are just, you know, yeah, I got these kids and whatever, and you live every day, and... You're not thinking about the end, but what do you want the end to be? Live that way. The same is true with every area of life. It's especially true of our spiritual lives. In, in fact, let's take the talk full circle because at the beginning of the talk, I said, you know, the first unforgettable lesson, put first things first, and the very first priority is God, right? It's the first priority, and most people mess it up because most people aren't beginning with the end in mind. What do you want life to be? Most people live in a way that robs them of their soul instead of living in the way that allows them to experience life and life to the full. And this is why they mess up their whole priority thing. They don't begin with the end in mind. And since the most important part of our life is this relationship we can or cannot have with God depending on our choices, I, I want to talk to you about your spiritual life beginning with the end in mind. And I want to do it to two groups because there are two groups here. And I'm glad you're both here. It's awesome. 
All human beings have equal value, but we're in different places and it relates to our spiritual journey. Some of you are believers. I mean, you've already come to the place where you've said Jesus is for real and I need him if I'm going to know God and you've repented of your sins and you've put faith in Jesus and you've experienced that and that's awesome. But have you noticed how just because you've experienced Jesus doesn't mean you're experiencing his promises today? And you know why? It's because very often we're not living with the end in mind. The Apostle Paul provides the great example for me. I mean, he experienced so much tragedy in life and yet he kept being faithful And he explains why in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? The glory that will be revealed in us. What's he talking about there, the end? The present sufferings, what's he talking about, the now? And how is he going through that suffering without making bad choices, getting ticked at God and pushing God out of his life and deciding to deny his faith? How is he going through those things? It's easy. He's living with the end in mind. The end is experiencing God saying, well done. You lived an awesome life. Come and share in my happiness. And when he saw that end, he decided he would live even in the worst of moments towards that end instead of the way he wanted to live and if we did the same thing it would change our faith he also wrote this in Galatians 6 verse 9 he says let us not become weary in doing good and I'm telling you doing the right stuff can really be tiring can it stop don't get weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up we'll reap a harvest when's the harvest the end We have to live with the end in mind because when we do, it will change how we live right now. We need to do it in marriage. We need to do it in career. We need to do it in life. We need to do it in faith. I believe many of us, and I know this is true of me, many of us have failed spectacularly like the one guy in the parable of the talents, not because we wanted to fail, but because we weren't thinking of the end and adjusting our lives now to it. We were thinking of the now. This hurts. I hate this. This is bad. This is hard. And so we live for the now, and we blow the end. Live with the end in mind. Every mistake I've made in doing my own thing instead of doing God's, Every time I've chosen the role of the failure instead of the two guys that succeeded, it boils down to this. I was thinking about the moment instead of the end. Begin with the end in mind. Some of you are here and you haven't gotten to the place yet where you've decided Jesus is for real and you need him. And I'm going to tell you, until you make the choice to believe, as long as you're a non-believer, you're still keeping him on the outside of your life, you're never going to experience in life what you want. You might be spectacularly successful in the eyes of the world, but you will still be empty within until you know Jesus. And because of that, it all boils down to begin with the end in mind. What do you really want for your life? Do you want to live a life of emptiness where you lose your soul, or do you really want to experience what God created you for? Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. Begin with the end in mind. Are you living today with the end where you stand before God and experience judgment in mind? Most people aren't. 
And the truth is, if you were doing that, you would be like without hope because you go, I've, I'm a, there's, I don't have a chance. I'm done. I'm toast. And you'd be right except for one thing. Look at verse 28. This is why Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many of us to many people. And he'll appear a second time in the end not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Begin with the end in mind. You need to realize that in the end when you're judged if you're standing alone you're in serious trouble. But if you put your faith in Jesus and you're standing with him in the end he brings you salvation. You have eternal life. Look at how he says it in John 3.18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because they've just not believed in the only one who can actually save them. And I believe, in fact, I know some of you are here, and I'm so glad you are, but you're here and you haven't yet believed, and I'm telling you, that's what's standing between you and everything you're looking for. You need to start right now to begin with the end in mind. And it begins with putting faith in Jesus because that makes the end secure. And so just before I finish the talk, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer, if you would. Just if you're watching online, bow with us in a word of prayer just for a moment. And if you're a believer, I believe you understand that there are some things that should be first that haven't been first in your life that you need to deal with. I, I bet you you would look at the outline of your life and you'd see places where you've been thinking win-lose instead of win-win. And I, I bet you there are some places where you've been thinking and living for now instead of thinking and living for the end. Believer friend, deal with that. But if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to encourage you, do it now. While I pray, I, I encourage you, take my words, make them yours, and in your heart, just say this to God. God, right now, I'm choosing you. I admit that I've not chosen you. I've not put you first. I've sinned against you. I've done my own thing. I've really messed up. But I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. And I'm asking you, I'm trusting you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again to give me new life. And I'm trusting you to give me that new life. I believe in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I just really want to encourage you. It's not an embarrassed thing. It's a celebration thing. Please let me know. I, we make it so easy for you to let us know that you prayed. And it's by putting it in the program, this little connection card so easy to fill out and on the bottom there's this little circle you check and it says you just prayed to receive Jesus and if you did please please let me know we make it simple to get it back to us we have these boxes at every single exit in the place and uh, as you're leaving just throw it in there we'll do the rest we'll send you information about next steps that you can take in your journey with God and if you're watching online just hit the what next button and we'll do the exact same thing for you we want to help you move forward in your faith three unforgettable life lessons that change the course of my life, that can change the course of your life if you live them. Put first things first. Think win-win. Begin with the end in mind. It makes sense as a dad, but it really makes sense in every area of life. It changes every area of life when you do it. Now just before we take off, next weekend is an, it's an extraordinary opportunity. Uh, we've invited Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer is the creator of Veggie Tales. 
if you've ever heard of Veggie Tales, a very, very popular, not just Christian, but popular uh, kids thing. And, you know, my cheeseburger, you know, that kind of deal. <laughs> he built this huge business and lost it all. I mean everything. And in the process, found God in deeper ways than he ever thought possible. And when I heard him share his story, it so deeply moved and impacted me that I just had to share them with you. I wanted to get them here. And it's not easy to get people here for weekend services and all that. Well, he said yes. This coming weekend at all four of our service, Phil Vischer will be giving his story. It is life-changing. Don't miss it. Please invite as many people as you can. It will be relevant to their lives. In fact, it will be unforgettable. You won't regret coming. And for the rest of this weekend, dads, I hope you have a happy Father's Day. Go out and celebrate it. Have a great, great time. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next time.